DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday, NBA Draft Night. NBA hasn't been gone that long, and it's back. Training camp in two weeks, five weeks roughly to the start of the season, just a, a little more than a month. All right, well, it all begins tonight. <laughs> this is such a crazy year. The Masters just finished. It's the NBA draft. In between, we've got college and pro football, except for the Utes. The last team in the country, the last Power Five team in the country to play a football game this year. What a crazy year 2020 is. So you just think about this. In 20 years, you're going to sit around and talk to your, your kids, your grandkids or whatever, and they're not even going to believe you. What? The Masters was in November? What? Yeah, it wrapped up three days before the NBA draft in November. Crazy. All right, for uh, BYU, it may be a crazy year, but it's a great year because they are 8-0 and they're getting ready to annihilate North Alabama. Uh, how much is enough? How many style points do you need? How much do you need to blow teams out by? That was one of the questions we discussed with Dylan Cauley. And personally, I think once you've beaten a team by four or five touchdowns, you're good to go. And I think that's been the beauty of uh, BYU this year. You know, Boise State was a marquee game, and they needed to win big. And sure enough, by the end of the third quarter, they were up 38-3. to They had a 35-point lead. Fourth quarter, they traded touchdowns. Actually, I think they missed an extra point, so I think they got outscored 14-13. Um, but, you know, at some point, once you've won by 30 points, in my book, it's good enough. And BYU's in the top 10 thanks to this undefeated season. Here's Dylan Colley with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? It's going well. Today, we would like to just d- discuss with you style points. It's getting late in the year. BYU's undefeated. They're eighth in the country. Well, according to the media poll and the coaches poll, they are. We'll find out what the committee thinks of them. But if they needed to make an impression... How much do style points matter to you? How much does a team need to win by? Is the answer as much as possible? Score with two minutes left? Is there a limit after a 20, 30, or 40-point win? Do you no longer care? What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't say that, right? Style points don't matter. I also I do think that there is a level of sportsmanship, but that is a very fine line. I think, you know, when you get up and you're in a controlling situation where your players are only having to play, you know, the first three quarters, I think there's enough style points there. I also think that, you know, when your punter takes off, uh, you know, and, and runs for a first down on fourth and 15, right, uh, that's a punter being a punter. And we need to respect that and, you know, uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate a punter who's just trying to make a play. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think you need to be in a very controlling situation, uh, after three quarters to where you can say, Hey, we're up by 40 and we can pull our starters and bring in our backups and, and they can perform at a, at a good, good enough level to maintain, you know, that, that sort of dominance. So how about a compromise? Go for style points in the first three quarters. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I think that should be your goal all the time, right? When you say, you know, don't take your foot off the gas or uh, I don't know if this is, uh, you know, a lot of coaches say things like, you know, step on their throats. I don't know if that's very appropriate, but, (laughs) you know, uh, you need to be able to do that in the first three quarters. And, you know, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's what you have to do. I, I can't sit back and just say, hey, let's, you know, let's take our foot off the gas, right? There, there's sportsmanship is shown throughout all three quarters as well, right? And when you're dominating, you're dominating. And that's, if you're a Division One football team and you're getting beat by 50, you, you know, you need to, that's, that's not BYU's fault or that's not Alabama's fault. That's the other team's fault. And, and maybe it's a little eye-opening to what they need to do better and the resources that they need to provide so that they can actually compete at this level. So there are probably people listening to this who are thinking, well, that's great, get a big lead, but uh, play some of these young guys and start getting ready for next year because next year, presumably, the schedule will be back to what we've been used to the last few years, and it'll be front-loaded with a bunch of teams, and you need to get some of these young guys work now. There's probably another group of people saying, next year will take care of itself, seal the deal and get in a New Year's Six Bowl and blow somebody out and play all the front-line guys. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, that just goes back, right? If you're up 40 points in the third, you know, at the end of the third quarter, let's get the other guys in and start building, right? And I think that is a huge part of the development, um, a huge part of the development so that they can, you know, get that game experience and, and be ready for next season so that they can continue this thing on. on and it's not just a, a, a one-hit wonder. So correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan. I would put you in the category of, and I know you went to Hawaii, but what I would call the traditional BYU football player, meaning you went on a mission, I think you did, uh, and mm-hmm. then somewhere along the line you come back. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I served a mission. Yeah, okay. So – then you come back. Now you go to Hawaii. Just but for for sake of argument, say you would have stayed at BYU, and it doesn't really matter that you went to Hawaii. But somewhere along the line, you got married during your college football career, which a lot of the BYU guys do. So my point in all of this is that now we're presented with this unusual situation. You're a little bit older than the average senior, but you have this opportunity to return because there, this is a free year. Put yourself in this position if this would have been you a couple years back, if we would have had that. What do you think about the idea of returning to play some more? So I, I actually think about this. I had this conversation with my wife as well. Uh, because we think about, I, I think about this pretty regularly if this would have happened. Um, you know, based on if, if let's, you know, like you're saying, right, if my career was the same it was, um, if, I, if you just took me from Hawaii and just put me at BYU and my stats and my play and everything was the exact same, right, you know, I was in a pretty good position to where uh, – if I would have stayed consistent, right, in my junior year, and then the same things would have led to my senior year, in my eyes, I, I would have had a shot to play in the NFL, right? Was I ever going to be a draft guy? Even if I would have had, you know, I had 56 catches my junior year, if I would have even kept consistent and had, you know, 60, 70 catches my senior year, I was never going to be, right, a first, second, third, e fourth-round draft pick. Um, and so I knew that, and I was okay with that. It was, okay, if I continue to play well enough, I could maybe right be a very, very late-round draft pick or most likely have a shot right to be a, a, a priority free agent. 
And so in that situation, I wouldn't have come back. Uh, I would have, you know, moved on after my senior year. And because you do get to that age where it's, you know, I, I was playing as a 26 year old senior. Um, and if yeah. I didn't have a shot, yes, I love football, but it, it's time to kind of move on and, and take care of, take care of the family. Now, if the transfer, if, if it would have been the same situation, but the transfer happened, right, where I would have come into BYU and we really only had an offense the last four games of the season, um, you know, in terms of scheme, in terms of comfort, right? Uh, I mean, this would have been awesome because I would have come back my senior year because I do think that it would have given me a better shot to, to move on and, and play at the next level. So the NFL guys are going to go. The guys who are deep on the depth chart, my guess is that they're going to go because they don't want to practice football for another year and they don't think they can play because <laughs> guys are being recruited over the top of them. So, But is there a small sweet spot of, I don't know what it would be, six to eight to ten guys of a, of a class who are going to take advantage of this at any given school? Maybe less so at BYU because they're even two years older? Absolutely. I think you have to. 100%. Is, explain what the commitment is of a, of a varsity, of, well, not just varsity, but a D1 player at, at something. We'll just use BYU because you're pretty much devoting almost your entire life to it, aren't you? What, just run us through what, what goes on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, from right, start to finish, after you know, obviously there's that six months of fall camp, of, of the fall, right, where where you're actually playing football. Um, everything you know before that and after that is really where the dedication and that work kind of kind of gets into place. And um, you know, at Hawaii, uh, I was my day to day was it was the same, right? Nothing ever changed, and I'd wake up and we'd go work out. Our workouts were anywhere between you know seven and nine o'clock. Um, and you'd start out on the field, right, for an hour, hour and a half, doing your mobility, uh, running through speed workouts, conditioning, and then you'd go spend an hour, hour and a half in the weight room. Uh, after that, you know, depending on your class schedule, uh, mine was in a, a place where I could take a lot of online classes and, you know, didn't have to be on campus as much. Um, and so, you know, a couple of us would go and train, uh, at a place in Hawaii to get some extra physical work in, work on our core um, strength and, and a few other areas. And so that was uh, about an hour and a half, two hours at least. Um, and you'd go to class, you'd eat lunch, and then we'd go, uh, we'd go throw for, you know, hour, hour and a half. Um, and then you'd head up to the, to the football offices and, watch film as, as long as possible. And that was probably going to be an hour, hour and a half. And then you go home and uh, luckily I had a, a wife who supported me and we'd figure out what we were going to eat for dinner and we'd go to bed and you'd run it back and you'd do that about, mm, you know, six, seven months out of the year. And then once you get to the season, it's okay. Now you're up in the morning. If you are banged up at all, right, you're in the training room as soon as you wake up. So have a set time where they say, Hey, at six six thirty, right a.m. before class, you need to come in and get treatment. So then you'd be in that early to get treatment. Then you'd go to class, right? And then after class, anywhere in between class, if you have a two-hour break, and let's say you're banged up, which you know six, seven, eight games in the season, chances are you're pretty banged up if you're playing. 
you're expected to be back in the training room getting treatment. And then you go to class again, right? And then, you know, uh, at depending on the time, right, when everyone's done, at uh, 2, 3 o'clock, you're going to have meetings, and you're going to have team meetings, and you're going to have position meetings, and then you're going to have special teams meetings, and then you're going to work out. And that, even during the season, that's going to be an hour, hour and a half. Um, and then you're going to go to practice at 4 o'clock, and you're going to have practice for an hour and a half, two hours. And then you're going to go watch film. And then you're going to go home. You're going to try and get your homework done. If you have a wife, right, you're going to hang out with your wife and your family, and then you're going to go to bed, and you're going to run that back again. Um, and that is, you know, that is no lie, right? Like, I'm telling you no exaggeration. That was my life specifically and the life of at least, you know, 70% of Division One college football athletes uh, across the country. So the really good guys move on to the NFL. The guys who can't get on the field move in because that's too big an investment if you're not playing. But for these other guys, I'm also curious. It's kind of the ugly underside. Uh, how much will coaches say, hey, we want the scholarship back, and you, son, you need to move on? Yeah. And that's, uh, like, it is, right, it is a business. As much as people want to say, college football and you know amateur sports like college football is a business the ncaa has shown that it's a business um and you know those those conversations are going to have to take place because you only have a certain amount of scholarships and so you're not gonna you know sacrifice let's say a guy who uh, if i would have transferred into byu and didn't contribute in any way shape or form and it was like hey Dylan, you were terrible right like you were not a good idea uh, you know, coaches need to have that conversation and be able to say, okay, this freshman is going to help us in the long run, whereas this person is just coming back to maybe put on a jersey or, you know, is a decent practice player. Um, it all goes back to this is Division One college football. Uh, if you're up by 50, you, you know, and if you can do it with your backups, you can do continue to do that with your backups, right? Uh, if there's a freshman that's coming in who's going to make a bigger impact, and the senior who's already been there for four years and hasn't done much, um, then you need to you need to be willing to have that conversation, and and that's that's going to happen. So for the guys who are getting all this playing time and getting all the glory and the fame, and you were in two situations where you played on football teams that really mattered in the community over there in the islands, and then we know here in Utah how big yep. of a deal it is to be a BYU football player. So there's some attachment of uh, fame and glory there, especially if you're getting the playing time. But how fun is it for the guys who aren't the stars? And that that's that's all situational, right? Because I know a lot of guys – I mean, at, at, Hawaii, at Hawaii you really are – you know, when it comes down to a, the most similar situation, right, where you're playing for a culture and you're playing for something just bigger than, right, uh, than, you know, just a team, uh, Hawaii is one of those places just as much as BYU is, right, where you're playing for the island, you're playing for an entire culture. And dudes on our team absolutely just love this, right? Especially the kids who are from Hawaii who wouldn't have had a chance to really play college football anywhere else and so that opportunity just to be on the sidelines and just to be able to put on a Hawaii jersey that like that matters 
and and people were okay getting absolutely torn and thrown around, um, you know. And you talk about well, Dylan, I don't know about getting your, you know, about taking the pedal off the gas and what happens in the circle. I mean, I was on that team where we were the ones that got beat by 50, 55, 60 points. Um, and so I've, I've experienced the worst of the worst. But, you know, people are still willing to, to come out and just be on the team. Uh, that's, to me, like, I couldn't do that because it is, it is such a time commitment. Dylan Colley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. Are you feeling pretty good about their New Year's Six plans now? You figuring that they're in? Assuming they yeah, beat San Diego State? Yeah. I feel, I feel very good about it. Which is why they have to have style points then, right? At 100%. <laughs> like, if, if they're, you can't, you know, it just goes back to, well, okay, Boise State, right? Without Hank Bachmeyer, like we said from the very beginning, without the starting quarterback, right, you need to win by 30, 40, 50 points. And that's what they did. They have literally done everything that everybody has asked them to do. The only yeah. thing that hasn't been done is for the people who are saying, you know, oh, the only way that this is going to work out is if you put another team on the schedule. Right? But far and wide, every person, you know, uh, I think Brady Quinn, you know, this last weekend was one of the few doubters who kind of, and that was, and that was toward the the college football playoff, right? Right. You had a panel of Urban Meyer, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and Brady Quinn, and Brady Quinn was the only person that said, I don't feel good about it because of the offensive line. Now, clearly, Brady Quinn hasn't watched the BYU football game all year or hasn't kept up with. BYU's offensive line that hasn't changed for the last four years, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think if anybody else wants to complain, I, you don't even have to talk to Twitter. You don't have to go to the local, right? You don't have to talk to just BYU fans. Go complain to Urban Meyer, right? Uh, Miner, Reggie Bush, and even Brady Quinn. Go, go complain to them and see what they have to say about it. Dylan, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. Yep. Have a great week, fellas. There's Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. When we come back, a former BYU linebacker, but now the head coach of the Utes, getting ready for game number one, which, as Kyle is about to point out, they are the last team to kick off this season. Kyle Whittingham, coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from Kyle Whittingham, his weekly media availability. A couple things about this. One, I thought he sounded more energetic, more upbeat. He's not having to play as many scout guys. He's going to get into that. He thinks that they're getting a lot of the, uh, not all, but a lot of the two deep back, and they're in a much better position. Now, it's still going to be their first game in USC's third game, so that's a problem. And for a defensive backfield that you're rebuilding on the fly, uh, USC's going to throw the ball 
Uh, on average, through two games, they're throwing the ball 49 times a game. So these guys are going to be tested by NFL wide receivers and an NFL quarterback. Uh, it's it's going to be difficult. here. But but Kyle sounds more upbeat this week. Here's Kyle on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Okay, the first thing I'd like to say is uh, I want to acknowledge the passing of, of a Utah sports legend, uh, Bill Marcroft, uh, this past weekend. Good friend of mine, uh, when I first got the job here way back when, uh, he was a big help to me, uh, a mentor, if you will, uh, helping me make that transition. Uh, spent a lot of time with him in those early years of my uh, head coaching career. Uh, had a chance to get to know Bill very well over the course of those last 15, 16 years, and uh, even prior to that. But uh, he'll be missed. Uh, just uh, an icon in the uh, in Utah athletics and and I had the opportunity to go out to dinner with him and his wife Joyce uh, a couple times and and uh, the respect and admiration and love that that he had for her was uh, really an inspiration to me and and uh, just a, a great guy and he'll be missed and and I just want to make sure that uh, you know we acknowledge that and, and let you know my feelings about Bill so so uh, rest in peace Bill uh, uh, as far as football goes, uh, we've had an encouraging week so far. Uh, excellent practice yesterday. Uh, you might uh, expect that the players' spirits be a little down because of the disappointment the last couple of weeks, but that's not the case. They're eager and ready to go. And uh, we had, a, like I said, a very productive practice. We'll get back out on the field today. Things are trending in the right direction for us uh, as far as uh, getting back to health and getting uh, guys back uh, out on the practice field. So that's encouraging as well. And right now, all our efforts are geared towards getting ready for the USC Trojans. And uh, be kicking off, uh, hopefully, uh, Saturday night, 8.30, ESPN National TV. And so we're excited about that opportunity. So questions? We'll start with Trevor Allen, followed by Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune and Patrick Kinahan of 1280 Zone. Uh, what has the last two weeks been like for you and also for, for your players to where you guys are getting ready for games and then on Friday having them be, be pulled away from you guys? How, how has it been, you know, emotionally and also just around the locker room? Well, it's been tough, and particularly for the players. I mean, coaches, you know, are, are probably a little more uh, emotionally able to handle that. But but players, they're competitive. They're, they're looking forward to competing and to have the uh, – the rug pulled out from under them at the last minute, two weekends in a row, is is difficult. But like I said, they've been uh, very resilient and shown a great deal of, of resolve when they come back. And uh, so we're in a good place right now mentally. We still you know, don't don't know a lot about our football team because we haven't had a chance to play yet. But but uh, as far as their work ethic, uh, their focus, their attention to detail, it's all been very good. We'll go to Josh Newman, followed by Patrick Kinahan. Hey, Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Just to follow up what Trevor said, um, you know, your players are grinding all week, but, you know, the week is not ending in a game. Um, from a mental standpoint and emotional standpoint, just how important is it to kind of keep tabs on your players right now? Well, it's always important to keep tabs on them, and that's uh, part of our job as, as coaches is to uh, be in tune with uh, them and their lives and everything they got going on and uh, be there not only for you know to, to coach football but uh, for just uh, support in general 
and uh, their well-being and making sure we're tuned into that. And that's a big part of our our uh, responsibility as coaches. We, you know, position control and, and uh, doing everything about your position group, uh, academically, socially, uh, football-wise, obviously. It's just all part of the deal. So I think our – I know our assistant coaches do a great job of staying in tune with that and making sure that uh, we're – uh, sensitive to, to what's going on in their lives. And just to follow that up, I know that as you guys went through last week, you guys were very close to the 53-player threshold, you know, kind of one way or the other. As this week kind of gets going here, uh, are more guys coming out of quarantine? And is your 53 situation kind of looking more optimistic right now? It is. It is. We're getting more guys back, uh, both out of quarantine and also the active cases have run their course for the most part. We still have a few that uh, are, are – uh, not in, in non-involved football-wise yet, but uh, due to come out in the next few days. But uh, we're in a much better spot right now than we were the last two weeks. And and uh, we tried to do everything in our power the last couple of weeks to play, but uh, there was, you know, between the 53 available scholarship players or, or and or a position group being decimated, that knocked us out of, of uh, competition. Our next question will come from Patrick Kinahan, followed by Ryan Costeca, SI.com. So you talk about competition every day in practice. I'm wondering with that in mind, you've still had the competition these last two weeks, but no games. Has the depth chart fluctuated in terms of guys maybe moving up and down based on these practices? It's fluctuated in guys moving up and down more so on who's available than competition and practices. We've, we've had to shuffle the deck quite a few times based on the revolving door of who's in quarantine, who's got uh, an active case of COVID or uh, just an injury for that matter. You know, there's, there's also you're dealing with injuries that are non-COVID related. And so that's been more of a uh, disruptor to the depth chart than has the competition. And now competition is always there and and uh, it's always a part of the equation for us of, of who's going to get playing time. But, but uh, that is taking a backseat right now just to the who's healthy and who's not. And then we saw the Pac-12 put together a game basically in two days' notice, and it was played Sunday. You got the Trojans this week, but who knows next week because down in Tempe they're having issues. What are your thoughts about getting a game that isn't currently scheduled on short notice? Well, it's uh, you know it's not ideal to be able to or to have to prepare in a short period of time for a, for an opponent. Uh, I think it was 48 hours that uh, Cal had. Uh, with uh, with their last game and and uh, but if both if both teams are on the same uh, footing and it's a level playing field and uh, neither team had a, a extended period of time to prepare while the other team was thrust into a, a short window, then uh, you got to go. I mean, we got to get games in, and it's not really a factor for player health or safety. It's just a strategic factor. You know, the coach is not being able to have much time to game plan and make uh, put in uh, things specific to that particular team. So as long as it's not a health or safety factor for our players, we're good to go. But again, it's, you know, in a caveat to that is making sure that, you know, if one team had been planning all along for the possibility of, of playing a certain team and the other team was scheduled to play another team and at the last minute had to switch gears, that uh, isn't uh, ideal. But, uh, you know, and this, this is a unique year, uh, unique circumstances, and you've got to be ready to adapt and, and uh, make changes and be able to do things like that. Next, we'll go to Ryan Costeca, followed by Josh Newman. Hey, Coach. How are you doing this morning? Good. Thank you. So, obviously, uh, you know, you're coming into the season with a young, you know, secondary primarily. 
Have you seen the growth from them in the last two weeks that maybe gives you more confidence heading into USC this week rather than, you know, facing Arizona for the first time two weeks ago? Well, we've definitely seen growth. Uh, we've also seen uh, guys miss a bunch of practice because of uh, uh, circumstances. And so uh, it's been a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a double-edged sword where guys are, are getting better, but then guys that need reps are not available to practice. And so uh, we feel like we're made, we've made progress. We still don't know what we have. We haven't lined up against anybody yet. But uh, as far as their techniques and fundamentals and, and grasp of the scheme, you can see that uh, getting better on a daily basis. But uh, we got to line up and play somebody to really find out where we stand. Next question will come from Josh Newman, followed by Josh Furlong. Kyle, I know that things are constantly fluid in terms of personnel and who you have available on a given day. Are you still – in a position right now where um, where scout team guys and walk-ons are, are getting two deep reps? That is becoming less and less the case. We've got that in a few isolated spots now, but uh, for the most part, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, and you know, it's, it's uh, still not perfect, but we're in a much better spot than we have been at any point over the last two weeks. And so we, we feel like uh, we've, you know, we've got our, ourselves back into a good situation. There's still a few few guys that we're missing, but uh, hopefully we get those guys back uh, shortly. And just a quick follow-up. Um, you fielded a question before about, you know, scheduling a game on short notice, how it's not ideal, et cetera. Um, are you guys kind of actively looking across the landscape if the Arizona State game were to be canceled on November 28th, kind of seeing what the options are? Well, I don't think that would be up to us at all. I believe it'd be up to the conference. And uh, we, you know, we'd like to play. That's uh, the bottom line. And and to uh, you know, you have to have a uh, another Pac-12 team that's in the same boat because of, you know it's scheduled out. Everybody's got uh, opponents for the next what five weeks, and so it would have to be a situation where somebody else had a cancellation as well, and it, and it matched up on your schedule. And so that would be uh, again at the conference level and, and something they would decide. Next up, Josh Furlong, followed by Jeff Call of the Deseret News. Now, speaking a little bit about the game this week, uh, last year, Keaton Slovis, their quarterback, uh, he, he did phenomenal things for him. He, he you know, he kind of came on the scene and, and really took it by surprise. Uh, this year, he's kind of started off a little bit slower, sputtered a little bit. What, what are you seeing from him that, that, that still gives you a challenge? And, and maybe what, what have you seen as the difference for him this year so far? Yeah. Well, he presents a big challenge. He's, a, he's an excellent quarterback. Uh, he's made some throws this year. That throw against Arizona State on the 4th and 11 uh, to win the game was, was an incredible throw. He put the ball in the only place it could have been put to, to be caught. And so he's a guy that what I see on film has a lot of poise. He's composed. Nothing seems to get to him. He's, uh, he's uh, got a, a real leadership quality to him. And uh, their offense seems to respond to him. Now he's got a great core of receivers to throw to. He's got a stable of backs that are very talented and a, and a very athletic offensive line. So he's got a, an outstanding supporting cast. But, but uh, he's, he's an excellent quarterback and, and uh, has performed, in my opinion, very well the first two games. Our final two questions will come from Jeff Call of the Deseret News and Trevor Allen of KSLSports.com. Kyle, looking at the big picture at this point with all that your team's been through already, what do you hope to get out of this uh, really unique season? 
Well, we hope to play. First of all, we're I think we're the only Power Five team that hasn't played yet, and so that's that's uh, that's the first and foremost. Is just get on the field and get in that get in an actual game, uh, see what we got with these with these uh, new players, and uh, obviously be competitive. We've got uh, some good things going for us on offense. We very few new players on offense. That's a veteran group, and so uh, we expect to be productive on offense and. And uh, really, the key is how quickly this defense can come around. But but uh, we're always looking to to uh, win the South and, and get to the championship game, and then win that. And so that's that's our objective, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we got to start playing at some point, and hopefully, this is the week we're able to do that. Our final question from Trevor Allen. Kyle, as you look at the uh, Trojans' defense, do you, do you feel like that there's, you know, especially having a new coordinator, does that provide any kind of advantage, especially because you have a lot of veterans coming back on offense? It does, and uh, we also have two game tapes on them, uh, which we can study and analyze and and uh, base our game plan around. And uh, but they're they're very athletic on defense, just like always. Same thing I said about UCLA uh, last week. I mean, they're right in the hotbed of Southern California's recruiting. Uh, and talent, the talent level down there is outstanding, and they're going to be talented every single year. That's never going to change. They're USC, and so they've got a lot of athletes on that defense. Uh, defensive line is just playing well, uh, so they've got guys really, you know, four and five star guys at every position. So that's going to make for a, uh, a formidable opponent, uh, no matter what the circumstances. There's Utah football coach Kyle Whittingham. All right, theoretically, hopefully, probably, and it does sound like probably, it'll be uh, Utah and USC Sunday night. And PK and I had a discussion yesterday. Uh, PK thinks the ASU game next week is in trouble. Um, you know, what will happen? Will Utah be able to schedule another game? Uh, there are some possibilities out there, including UCLA playing Arizona. I wonder if the Utah have a chance to double back and pick up a game maybe that they missed in one of these, an opponent that they missed one of these first two weeks. All right, coming up next, we're talking NBA draft. Brian Kilbrowski joins us. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Brian Kobrowski, NBA draft writer for Hoopsype. The draft. What is going to happen? Brian, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. Brian, is there any chance you can project what's going to happen or are trades going to scramble this whole thing early on? Nope. Can't, can't predict it. Uh, it's absolutely wild right now. Um, I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm definitely uh, eager to find out um, who ends up where and um, you know, I think that this is going to be the kind of draft where uh, there there are maybe some gems hiding in plain sight, and those are going to be the guys that are going to maybe uh, make the biggest influence moving forward uh, on helping the team's trajectory of becoming uh, successful in the NBA. Um, you know, and I think realistically, there's a ton of those guys. There's a ton of guys who I think uh, might be drafted outside of the lottery um, who are going to make a big impact. But uh, in terms of who goes where, that's when I get really murky. 
Yeah, we always look at these mock drafts, and I'm a sucker for them. I, I don't know why. The NBA draft is my favorite draft, and so I look at all these mock drafts, and I'm trying to recall maybe it's just a recency bias, but it seems like this year I'm seeing some guys in some mock drafts who are end of the first round, say 20s, and then you look at another draft, and they're in the 30s or 40s, and then it's vice versa. Uh, does this just indicate how crazy this could be, particularly as we get past the lottery? Yeah, and you know what? I'm guilty of it, too. Uh, I'm very guilty of it, too. Um, and I think, you know, for one, um, you know, there's there's differing opinions on players, right? Um, I think, realistically, uh, it, it's, it's no surprise to think that, um, you know, my interpretation of what makes a good NBA player might be different than, you know, Jonathan Devoney from ESPN or Sam Vestani from uh, The Athletic. Um, but, you know, what it really comes down to is that I think outside of the top five or ten players, uh, there's actually a ton of parity in this class. I think that um, people talk about it being a weak class um, because uh, there's not really a consensus top three, and I do think that's true. I don't think there's necessarily uh, a can't-miss product in this class, and I think that you know we've maybe been spoiled over the last few years with guys like Trey Young and Zion Williamson and Luka Doncic, um, you know, entering the league and kind of being all-world type talents and something or other. Uh, there's nobody like that that has such an elite skill uh, in this class, and I think that might be marring some people's opinions. But I think outside of those, you know, names we're hearing within the top, top five picks or so, um, the difference between 14 and and 45, you know, in this class. Um, on big boards, and, and it's kind of a matter of preference. Um, and also will be a matter of, you know, uh, a team's draft philosophy. Um, you know, I think that um, there are guys like uh, Xavier Tillman out of Michigan State um, or Cassius Stanley out of Duke, um, who, you know, I personally love, who I could see going, you know, as high as maybe even in the team, um, but, but falling to mid-second as well, uh, just because there's so many guys uh, that it really depends on the archetype that you're looking for. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Um, but I do think that, you know, a lot of it's going to be based on, um, you know, what a team values. Not necessarily team fit, not necessarily we need a point guard, but, you know, this guy interviewed extraordinarily well. Or, you know, this guy's got um, really, really great, um, really great me- physical measurements or whatever it might be. And I think without the tournament this year, uh, that's really what it came down to, to, um, you know, make a lot of your decisions. So without a tournament this year, uh, and without most of the conference tournaments, one of the last big shots belonged to Sam Merrill. Now, he's a little, yeah. on, he's a little on the older side. I've seen some second-round projections from him. What do, you think, what do you think happens to the Aggie star? Yeah, I, uh, I interviewed Sam. Um, I think that if he were... Uh, he were a little younger. He could be the first-round talent based on his productivity. Um, obviously, uh, the development curve, you know, favors those who are older. When you're older against, you know, younger guys, you're probably going to have a little bit more success. But, you know, he's somebody who knows his role. Uh, he's somebody who, um, you know, doesn't mind having the ball in his hands at the end of the game. You know, big-time player. Uh, I think he's got great positional size, um, really, really solid assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, you know, he's got a really efficient jump shot. Uh, he's somebody who I think um, is going to surprise the team um, or surprise some teams uh, in terms of somebody who I think could go a little bit higher um, than maybe some, some mock drafts are projecting. 
uh, because I think, you know, in a, in a situation where the, the league is starting in a few weeks, you know, to give the season starting back up, we're not going to have the typical uh, cycle of, of training camp and um, summer league, et cetera, of getting to know everything. Uh, Sam is someone closer to an instant contributor. Um, you know, and I think there's also a real chance of him potentially being an undrafted free agent where you can kind of pick his destination as well, maybe get a guaranteed deal. I think he's that kind of a player uh, that a team would be interested in giving a guaranteed deal to um, because I think he's got, you know, so much unique talent as um, a uh, as a ball handler, as a passer, and as a shooter. So without the tournament to, to focus on, I end up watching Pac-12 a lot because that's part of our job. There's a bunch of guys uh, that I wanted to ask you about because they could all be a te- potentially available for the Jazz when they draft 23. You know, you got two big guys, McDaniels and Stewart out of Washington. Uh, you've got uh, Bay out of Colorado. you got three guys out of Arizona. Uh, Nico Mannion and Josh Green and, and Najee. And then you got a kid out of Oregon who's sort of uh, cut out of the uh, Sam Merrill mode and, and Pritchard. And all these guys might be available. Certainly a lot of them will be available. What do you think about as far as those guys relative to the Jazz? Yeah, and you know what? I, I went to Oregon, so I watch a lot of Pac-12 basketball myself. Uh, I've been following Peyton Pritchard since he was a high school recruit. Um, because, you know, he's somebody who won four straight high school titles uh, in Oregon. So as somebody who follows uh, Oregon basketball as closely as I do, um, it was obvious to me that he was somebody who should at least be on my radar. So uh, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan of Peyton Pritchard. Um, I, of the guys you mentioned, I've interviewed uh, several of them. Um, and one that you didn't mention, who I've actually highest on out of the entire lot from the Pac-12, is Stanford's Tyrell Terry. Um, but, you know, I've interviewed Tyrell Terry out of Stanford, Isaiah Stewart out of Washington, Southern Bay out of Colorado, Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. Um, and those are the guys that I've at least personally had conversations with um, that are draft prospects out of the Pac-12. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, uh, Terry, Terry and uh, Stewart specifically jump off the page. Um, you know, Tyrell Terry is uh, light, definitely a little undersized. Um, you know, young, uh, developing, fairly raw. But, um, you know, I, I've heard from some NBA sources that he uh, shattered a record for uh, the best basketball intelligence measured that they've ever uh, done. There's a there's a basically an iPad that they send where you have to make the right reads. Um, and he got he made the right call every time, essentially. Uh, his understanding of the game is just close to flawless, it feels like, right? Um, and, and I think that's something that certainly goes, uh, you know, noticed from, from teams because you're understanding the basketball. Um, so he definitely, definitely has that. Um, and, and I, I really like him for that. And I think that he is somebody who's going to go, um, you know, maybe, maybe probably in the teens. I think he might be uh, the first player out of the Pac-12 draft. And then, you know, Isaiah Stewart's the other guy for me that really uh, jumps off the page as well because, He's just oozing with confidence. He's a quote machine. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not saying his, his game is similar by any stretch uh, to Draymond Green, um, but he is going to be a type of player who will be able to list every player drafted before him to prove the, the doubters and the critics wrong. I mean, when I interviewed him, um, you know, there was just an electricity with the way that he spoke. Um, I, I couldn't believe, um, you know, some of the things he was saying. It's about the ways that he feels he's, the best prospect in the class by proving it by 
um, talking about individual matchups he's had against guys and, you know, just cooking them time and time again and guys ducking him and how, um, you know, the group workouts being canceled this year is probably a good thing for some of these prospects because they didn't have a chance to be, um, you know, embarrassed by him out there. And I think that, you know, with his, with his massive wingspan and his uh, incredible motor and uh, just the, the electricity that he plays with, the intensity that he plays with, I'm fairly confident that he um, is going to make a name for himself um, in, a, in a front court rotation in, in some capacity. Um, so those are two guys that really stand out. Uh, Tyler Bay is another one that's interesting for me. Um, you know, he's he, he tested as the most um, analytically impressive defensive player uh, in college basketball last year by um, you know some measurements, including uh, player impact plus minus. Um, that's one that I that I like to use, and he had the best. Uh, defensive, you know, uh, mark in that regard in the country last year. And I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a good team defender, uh, tested really well at the combine too, you know, really athletic, um, you know, great, great vertical pop, you know, good, good leaper. Um, you know, somebody who I think uh, is going to be able to, to lock down guys. And, you know, he also shot above 40% from three point range last year too. So, um, you know, he, he, he's somebody who uh, I think has a little bit more of a, hit or miss type of equality to him. Um, but I, I do think that, um, you know, all of those guys are guys who, who I've spoken with, who, who I'm, I'm fairly sure are going to uh, be drafted, you know, in an impressive range on draft night. And then, you know, Peyton Pritchard obviously is somebody who, uh, like I said, I've followed since he was in high school and I think he's going to, he's going to, you know, have a long career in the NBA as well. Uh, I'm not sure if he necessarily uh, will be a starting point guard of the NBA, um, I, I don't want to have egg in my face if that's the case because uh, he, he's kind of proven, you know, um, year over year over year in his life that you know, he can start off in a smaller role and, you know, be, be a little bit more willing to, to grind it out and, um, you know, continue to, uh, you know, be uh, somebody who's worth watching for, for a long period of time. Um, and, and I think Peyton Pritchard is uh, somebody who, who I think is going to make a team really happy as well. Brian Kelbrowski joining us, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. Uh, Yoli Childs only took two three-point shots his freshman year at BYU. By the time he was done, he was shooting 49% from three. Does stepping out and hitting those shots get the NBA guy's attention, and if so, to, to what degree? Uh, I think he, he's somebody who is one of the most uh, mature and NBA-ready uh, players in this entire class, and I think that you know, in a draft marred by uncertainty, um, you know, he, he kind of feels, you know, closest to, to comfort food. And I think he's going to be somebody who, um, you know, really, really rose, uh, really, really continued to rise uh, during the draft interview process. Um, you know, a lot of teams that he spoke with um, assuredly came away very impressed with him. You know, he, he's not a kid. You know, he's, he's a married man who um, understands the game. Uh, at a high level, uh, super high character guy, uh, and somebody who you just trust is going to make the right decisions as he continues his professional career. Um, I think he tested a lot better than people expected at the combine as well. Um, very fast, you know, very very impressive uh, leaping skills as well. And you know, I think like you said, you know, the the three point shot is, is nothing to uh, discount either. I think that you know he 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 wasn't exactly Steph Curry or anything. He's not. You know, Davis Bertans either in terms of just being a, a big who can shoot, but he is uh, somebody who, who chose his shots very carefully uh, and made the right uh, calls. And um, I think by the time that 
you know, his, his final collegiate season was under wraps. Uh, he had proven that he uh, definitely knows how to take and make a three-pointer. Brian, we appreciate a few minutes to talk a little bit about the draft, as wildly unpredictable as we expect it to be. We look forward to watching it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. There's Brian Kolbrowski, NBA draft writer for Hoops Hype. When we come back, what is trending in all the headlines next?